Welcome to the NRL.com Sunday session where we talk you through all eight games from the round. My regular co-host Kenny Scott will be joining me very shortly to talk about the eight games from round 15 in the Telstra Premiership. But firstly, before that, is my very great pleasure and privilege to welcome New South Wales legend Brett Kamali to talk through the uh, freshly announced New South Wales team for game two. Noddy, thank you for being here. No, thank you, Chris. Yeah, obviously, uh, we've got the... Uh... The all attention turns to game two, Suncorp Stadium. New South Wales don't have a great record at Suncorp Stadium. Queensland will definitely be embarrassed from what happened in game one. Um, not many player changes apart from Jake unavailable. But yeah, it's a, it, State of Origin is the greatest time of the year. I know it does affect club football. I don't know it hurts the sort of those six to seven weeks that it goes around. But it's the greatest competition our game has got. Just, uh, I guess, on a personal note, to start with that fifty to six win, the the biggest win by margin in New South Wales history, knocking you off uh, off the throne. That fifty six to sixteen win uh, back in was two thousand, I think it was. You yeah. were the halfback, the architect of uh, of that one. So yeah, back to back to second spot now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a little bit disappointing. Uh, my first year of State of Origin. Actually, it was funny. Like we come in, and obviously, I'm a rookie into the State of Origin camp. Uh, Freddie was my captain and my five at that year. So he's, he holds both records now, the top two yeah. records for New South Wales. One as a player and one as a coach. So, um, yeah, he, he understands it very well. Um, the whole week of – the whole sort of six weeks of origin camp, I'm, Freddie was a great leader, but obviously one that just continually said, um, play flat, play fast. It's about support, push through the holes. Um, and there's no – there's minimal shape and structure to state of origin football. And let's make sure we enjoy ourselves throughout the week. So, um I think 20 years or 21 years later, he's still got the same philosophy of what State of Origin is all about. You know, pick the right person and just play eyes up football and then, you know, win a quick play the ball and play over the advantage on. So, yeah, it was a, you know, to think about how my first series of State of Origin went, it was the 3-0 clean sweep. It was the the, the record by Ryan Gerd, the last match, the, the big scoreline. Um, yeah. You know, a bit of fun with the post-try celebration that they say come back to hurt us a few <laughs> years later. But, um. Yeah, it was, you know, if I think about the out of the 10 games I played, the first three were, I went, the origin's never easy, but in some regards, it made me, I felt comfortable. And probably the last two I played um, after coming back um, in some regards, and, and I sort of had the, the fear of failing had gone in some regards. So maybe we got to enjoy half of my state of origin <laughs> matches. Um, it's such a such a build up, such a uh, high pressure match. Um, you don't want to let your state down. You don't, definitely don't want to let your mate down. There's no event that can prepare you for, can prepare you for state of origin. It's it changes you so quickly. It's the best of the best. Um, I can I remember when I retired, I walked away from state of origin. But every game I went to, I was I walked out and went, that is the best game of football I've just seen. And then you go back in two weeks later and you walk out saying nearly the same thing. So yeah, yeah. it never stops impressing us. Yeah, there's been some phenomenal performances littered throughout the uh, yeah. the years of yeah. State of Origin. We might see some yeah. more uh, on Sunday yeah. night. Let's talk about the uh, the Blues team. A bit of a blow with uh, Jake Travojevic hurting his hip at training. Doesn't yeah. sound long-term, but he's out of game two. I thought he was really, really strong uh, at the start of, of game one. Really helps sort of set the tone and, and lay the platform. Um, I guess probably the good news for the Blues is just the, the strength of the candidates they've got to come in. The team list as it stands is a 20-man alphabetical team list. So basically it's going to be yep. one of Angus Crichton or Dale Finucane to come in or potentially both, which I don't know, maybe a Liam Martin or someone might be unlucky to, to miss out if they both come in. But I mean, how do you see it? Obviously good, good uh, replacements to come in, but how do you see the actual pack pulling together? 
Yeah, great players. Obviously, uh, have been in and around State of Origin for a number of years, been successful in their campaigns. Uh, both play for, you know, premiership winning clubs. So they know what success sounds like and feels like. Um, I don't expect two changes. I don't expect one change. You know, I think it'd be really hard for Brad Fittler to go out and say, I'm going to change the squad after how well they played in Townsville uh, game one. Um, obviously, he's got a shorter build up this week. Um, obviously, they're in camp Sunday night and then they play on Sunday. So normally, traditionally, it's a 10-day build up. So there could be sometimes where training mishaps occur or, or they go home and come back and they're a little bit off. But I, I think the, the front row position will be replaced by either Dale or Angus, um, depending on what way Freddie wants to go. Um, Jake obviously was a small front rower, but he was a mobile front rower. He played the first 20 minutes for New South Wales and then come back on later in the match. I like Payne Haas coming off the bench. I think there's no use wasting an athlete like him, a big, strong human. And he can play 80 minutes, but what I think if you wait for 20 to 25 minutes to put him on the field, there's fatigue into the opposition and then Payne Haas terrorises him like he did in game one. So I thought that was a great coaching philosophy of Brad Fittler. Um, so that's why I think I'll go Angus Crichton or Dale Finucane to play in the front row. They'll keep everything the same. It'll be all about play the ball speed, um, um, winning, the, winning the rucks, getting out of the advantage line and being mobile defensively, um, which is probably what State of Origin is about. And, uh, so I, I'm not too sure what way they go. I think Ang, you know both can play. Angus is a, a big back rower, but whether he plays front row or whether they just go with Dale Finucane. So... Uh, it's hard when they actually, as you said, alphabetically name the squad and don't actually tell us what positions they're playing till later in the week. So um, I don't expect one change to the side. I think the forward pack did a wonderful job. Um, it, you know, they, it was all set up also by the back five. The back five for New South Wales, uh, I remember thinking before game one, they, they averaged nearly 900 run metres between the back five at club football. And that starts a set. That starts a trend. Uh, and we saw how influential Tom was today in the second half with Manly um, to score 48 points to nil yeah. in the second half. He, on his day, I think Tom Travojevic is the most influential player in our game right now uh, for what he can do. And the most consistent player in our game for the last two years has been Nathan Cleary. So we've got a good, uh, a good crop of players that are coming through. They're all playing good. They've all got the experience. They've all now know what a big game feels like in the win a big game, which is what sort of the Penrith players hadn't have done before Origin won. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they carry no fear anymore and no scarring from some setbacks in life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just in terms of the, the changes, like you said, very tough to change a winning team. Yeah. No one deserves to be dropped or, or moved. I guess if you're going like for like, then probably Dale is the closer one. That Dale and Jake are both very sort of yeah. rugged, robust locks who do a little bit of ball playing, very important in that role for their, their teams and can play front row yeah. uh, as we've seen them both do in origin. Um, previously so if you wanted to like for like just jake out and, and dale in that that probably works my when i first heard that that jake was out my first thought was that um pain or potentially junior paulo but one of those guys starts cam murray goes to the bench as like a versatile sort of leg speed you know middle slash edge you know bench weapon and, and angus comes in on the right yeah. edge where he made his name at south sydney a couple of years ago as yeah. sort of a hard wide running back rower that that changes the team a little bit more than the like for like but I mean you're saying you probably don't see that many changes happening if Angus comes in no and you're right everything you just said makes sense and it's worked in the past and that's where they've built their names and that's who they are but I think when we've got a short turnaround as I said they're in camp Sunday night some of the players have played today um, so tomorrow is probably just a recovery day Tuesday well, Tuesday is probably the first day they're going to run around as a team um, in some regards Wednesday's um, you know, they've got 
what have they got? Probably play Sunday, Saturday captain's run. Friday might be a day off. So they've got two or three days of training this week. Um, so I don't think they change too much. I, I, I think they'll go with, as you said, Dale Finucane to play in the front row. Um, keep everything the same. Uh, Angus Crichton. Angus Crichton would have made Origin 1 if he was available. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, he wasn't available for Origin 1. So he has to sort of buy his time. And I think what Freddie does is Freddie picks good characters, good people. And if they do the job, he, he rewards them and probably says, mate, you'll play the next game unless you're unavailable through injury or suspension. So I think the hardest thing you can do is put pressure on players to to think they've got to perform, to think they've got to play the house down, to keep their position because other players are available. Because, again, the beast of state of origin, it's so much pressure is already built on you um, for the normally the 10-day build-up, the seven-day build-up. It's the most watched television event every year is state of origin football. And you don't – and then you've got – being a kid, you watch it, you want to play it. You now, you, the, if you're close enough to play, and it's not like club football again, as I said, it's it's uh, going to be a packed Suncorp Stadium. It's a sudden death game for Queensland. They'll be embarrassed. They'll be hurting. They'll have some some pride to restore. So, um, you know, even two years ago, I think we won game two in Perth by 32 points. We come to th- game three uh, in Sydney uh, on our home turf, and we actually stole victory in the eighth minute by James Tedesco scoring. So, the big scoreline from game one doesn't guarantee we're going to win game two. And I think Queensland have got a lot of major factors that will say, hang on, guys, this is, you know, desperation, sudden death, Suncorp Stadium. New South Wales have got a pretty bad record at Suncorp Stadium. So there's plenty of things in favour of Queensland, even if they keep saying we've got players in doubt, we've got a weakened squad, we're not too sure what's happening. You know, there is no no favourites win state of origin anyway. It's just the best of the best. And who takes their opportunity and who gets them their heads ready to play like, you know, our biggest challenge, I suppose, in some regards is having the mindset to play like we did in game one. Yeah. Knowing the fact that what you did in game one blew them off the park. And if you're just a little bit off, then we will get beat. Mm. You touched on a few interesting things there. One is the Suncorp record. Brad Fittler's never won yeah. there as coach since he's been uh, since he's been coaching the Blues. The other thing you touched on is the shorter build-up. Only a couple of real yeah. training sessions, which obviously favours the Blues because they're going with a very similar team and all the same playmakers. Yeah. The Maroons news today that Harry Grant almost certainly unavailable after tweaking his hamstring um, in that uh, storm win over the Tigers. They probably need a new dummy half. Um, AJ Brimson wasn't able to play for the Titans as he manages uh, in Injuries. Calum Ponga uh, won't be back uh, to plug a, a gap at fullback due to his ongoing groin strain. They already had issues with uh, Kurt Capewell, probably um, had a bit of a tough time. You know, obviously a great player and he'll be in the 17 again, but playing out in the centres trying to mark Tommy Turbo and yeah. um, the yeah. wingers both had a, a bit of a challenge as well. So <clears throat> forced and potentially unforced changes afoot for Queensland and only a couple of training sessions to, uh, to get it right. Yeah, and, and sometimes though, only a couple of training sessions can help because it doesn't allow the pressure to build up throughout the 10 days. Um, pretty much for these players that come in and they've got a big job to do, um, sometimes two or three training sessions, it feels like the game jumps on you pretty quickly. So you're, you're not overthinking your game, not overthinking your role. Um, sometimes it's easier, I think, just to jump in and play a game of football without all the build-ups. So you're right. I, I You know, the, the Queensland side was heavily criticised for taking injured players into game one and having a poor preparation. So I don't think they can afford to see what Harry Grant's like, wait and see how the week unfolds. I think with a short turnaround especially, um, we're talking about Monday tomorrow and all of a sudden the game's on us six days later on the Sunday. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. So I don't think they can afford to carry many players um, See, wait till Thursday and Friday if they've got a full squad and then react on that because they need their preparation to be absolutely perfect 
Um, I would think a Ben Hunt, a Reed Marnie probably come into that dummy half position because I thought that they got caught a bit short of um, Harry Grant, who hadn't played for five weeks for game one, um, playing dummy half. And then obviously Ben Hunt doesn't traditionally play, but dummy half and Reed Marnie doesn't know what state of origin feels like. So mm. um, I would think their back five for Queensland pretty much stays the, stays the same as game one, which puts Val Holmes back in that fullback position. Um, maybe Kyle Felt keeps his jersey. Uh, and as you said, the, you know, Xavier Coates probably, you know, and then you've got two guys playing centre for Queensland that got blown off the park. Well, more, more I suppose, Capewell, who was the right centre, got blown off the park because we had both centres playing on that side of the field. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's unusual that they don't play side and side, but they end up popping up both on the left. So um, I can't see that changing too much for New South Wales. Obviously, Queen, um, South Sydney have got a great left-edge attack. Latrell Mitchell's a traditional left-edge centre. Tom Travojevic can play up the whole park. Um, and even some of the tries that we scored off Tom were with the fact he was just hovering near to play the ball. And when the line break was created, he just pushed through the middle of the park and scored as a traditional fullback would anyway. So, um, but yeah, you're right. It, there, there is pressure on Queensland. Um, they've got some injury concerns. They definitely will be, uh, New South Wales will be the heavy favourites from the result from game one and the injuries to Queensland for game two. Uh, it sets up a little bit for a bit, a, a nice little, slash big ambush from Queensland to come and yeah. just remind everyone that State of Origin is not dead after the players being out. There's more spirit in the Queensland um, community, Queensland players than there is in New South Wales. Um, and obviously, Paul Green. Paul Green's under a bit of pressure now as well. You know, you rookie coach to Origin, um, premiership winning coach at Clubland, but um, takes over the reins uh, on the back of winning a series last year. Um, and, and now all of a sudden got blown off the park for game one. And some players in doubt for game two. So he's probably learning what origin football is all about, which is, again, totally different to club football. Um, and I think Queensland, the, I think the greatest strength Queensland had last year in the series was the fact that Mal and Wayne were the coaches. The two most successful coaches in Queensland's history mm. were their two coaches when Kevy got the Broncos job. And all of a sudden then the aura and the, and the ability of what they were able to create, create was, was a massive factor, I think, to their victory last year. Well, let's um, just before we finish up, just put our open our crystal ball up just for a second. Yeah. And, and I know you don't, you know, probably care too much what Queensland do or want to be picking their team for them. Let's have a little look ahead. Uh, Harry Grant, we yeah. think, is definitely out. AJ Brimson didn't play today. We think yeah. he's definitely out. Um, Reed Marnie didn't play for the Eels today. Not sure how far off he is with his shoulder. So we can probably put a line through him as well. Ben Hunt had yeah. a fantastic game for the Dragons yeah. against the Raiders. Uh, Andrew McCulloch was pretty good in that game as well. Do we potentially foresee them coming in as a one-two punch or do we we see maybe Ben Hunt starting and then maybe a Reese Walsh gets the bench utility jersey. Yeah, geez, it's a big ass, isn't it, for a Reese Walsh? Not once yeah. he had in years of age and six NRL games of football, and you want to throw him the cauldron of state of origin at Suncorp in, in potentially a game if they lose, then everyone goes, Oh, well, you've been scarred for state of origin, you know. Mm. So I, I think I think that's a big ass. I think in some regards, my head tells me they'll probably start with a um, McCulloch in some regards, just to get a good dummy half pass, get into the set of six, get a, a good tackler in the match, and maybe Ben Hunt. Then Ben Hunt's greatest strength as a dummy half is his running game. So you don't want him to make 20 tackles or 30 tackles in the first 25 minutes mm. and be worn out. So when the game opens up, he's absolutely shot. So there might be some thoughts that they might start an Andrew McCulloch just to settle into the game. Um, he's an experienced campaigner. Um, he can kick out a dummy half and he can make his tackles. And then Ben Hunt maybe comes off the bench. So uh, I, I think in some regards, they probably look at a Josh Papali as well to come back into the side. Um, yep. 
And I think you think the fact that, you know, I thought he's played good the last two weeks. Um, and again, he's a big game player. He's been one of Queensland's best players for a number of years now. And again, he was unavailable for game one. Um, he's available for game two. So I probably expect him to come back into the side. And, 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 and that's about it in some regards. I don't expect too many changes. I think, you know, there's, you could change it and pick someone else, but the, on, on, on paper and on reputation, the person you're going to pick to replace who you've got isn't as good as the person you've got. So you just got to sort of pick and stick and hope that they can put a performance in in front of a massive crowd at Suncorp Stadium on the pride that would be hurting from game one and the fact that it's, it's desperation. You, you, you got to talk about those origin moments for in game two because if you lose the game, it's over. It's 2-0 in New South Wales. Mm. Well, yeah, the old pick and stick. The Queenslanders loved having yeah. a dig at New South Wales <laughs> when the Blues weren't picking and sticking. So this yeah. is their chance, yeah. I guess, to, to yeah. do the same. Yeah. Mate, uh, kept you uh, long enough, but fantastic insights. Thank you so much for joining NRL.com's uh, Sunday session. And uh, it be interesting to see uh, how game two pans out. Yeah, I can't wait, Chris. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much. And now dialing in my regular co-host, Kenny Scott, to chat through the eight games uh, from round 15 in the Telstra Premiership. Kenny, thank you for being here. Thanks so much, CK. And just on that um, that last game uh, of the round, I actually I didn't watch the second half. I switched off at halftime. So I'm assuming that the Titans went on with their great form <laughs> of the first half. Is that Did anything else happen? Good gag. Hey. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of points conceded in a half of football, I think we're, uh, I mean, we'll get to the, the Tigers-Storm game in a little <laughs> bit. But um, yeah, this was one um, mother of all collapses from the Titans who looked to be well in control of this. And then, I mean, you know, Turbo was was great and he's always hard to stop and Manly were good, but there's just, there's no way the Titans should be letting in these sort of points. That was an absolute avalanche. Oh, yeah, I, I don't understand. How, how does that happen? I thought the Tigers would have the most embarrassing half of football of the round. How do you eclipse a 40-0 like drubbing? With a, what was it? What was the official score count? 48 nil was the score of the second half. I think. I think it was six tries in 16 minutes at one point or something. Was... Unbelievable. I, I don't have no words. Uh, I guess, you know, the Titans had the game won in the sheds at halftime, I suppose. And the, the Manly Sea Eagles came out with a game plan and that was blow them away down the left edge, I guess. Ruben Garrick, what was his final score tally? Four tries, I think. They just opened him up down the left side. <laughs> every single time it was it, I, I I can't believe it I don't know I don't know what else to say that's just that is probably the biggest capitulation I've ever seen yeah I'm, I'm still you know we've only just seen the game um, finish so uh, still a little speechless as we uh, as we sit here but you know there's sort of a fair bit of talk floating around about you know the Titans are in front but you know Manly can score points and Titans have conceded a lot if Manly can just score the first try of the second half they're a chance and then all this it just went out they, they weren't a bit of a chance or they need everything to go right. Like they didn't just win. They won by 32 points. Like that's, I don't know. It's just a mind blowing collapse. The floodgates just well and truly opens pretty much every time Manly got the ball back, the, the Titans just didn't know what to do. And the just gaps everywhere. Yeah. What, what's most like more amazing is I thought the Titans had a really good first half. They were yeah, playing great. some really good football. It was consistent and sustained pressure on, on Manly's line. Like, they were doing these wonderful deaf grubbers like Jaden Campbell's having a great game. Tyra Peachy was having a great game. They were doing really good things. David Fafita was like, a bet looked like he was about to explode. He broke the line that many times, even back to try. It looked like it was going to be a really great second half. And then I, I just don't know what happened. So, I mean, that's, that's Justin Holbrook's problem, isn't it? But what a just, you know, game of two halves, cliche, et cetera. It genuinely was. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we talked last week, they scored 34 points and, and lost the game. A few times this year, they've scored more than enough points to win a game of football and still lost because their defence is so um, so ordinary. I don't I don't know how you fix them like this. They've got so many points in them. They just need to fix the, the defensive half. And before we get a, away from it, I do want to talk about Jaden Campbell a little bit because you know that second half's overshadowed it. But what we saw from the kid in the first half, I absolutely loved everything we saw from him in that 40 minutes. So the instinct for that first uh, little kick grubber try to, I think, Greg Mars, who scored it, just the ball barely touched his hands. He received the pass and something was on his toe, like just perfect touch for a try that there was that run where he was testing the manly line and he jinked and skated and touched and spun around about 10 different players and finally four and sort of rounded him up and gave him the big sort of Jersey pull over the head and shoved him down on the ground, like get down there young fella. And Campbell got up, just bounced up with a huge smile on his face. And he actually ran after four and just to keep giving him a gobful. I'm like, I just love the confidence on him. Like you know, Kieran four and you know, 20, 11 premiership winner like done everything in the game and there's this kid who's afraid of nothing just running after him and, and giving him what for I mean it doesn't look so good in the end because Manly won by 30 but at the time the Titans were on top I, I just there was that Tommy Turbo out jumped him for that try um pretty early on in the game and then he, he got tested by another bomb with Turbo coming for him and he leapt high and he, he took the ball from from Turbo and came away with it like just really really nice moments of confidence from him I think he's got a huge future yeah, I would say that was a um, that would have been dubbed a breakout game for him had the second half not been a complete, mm. you know, a complete dog's breakfast. Um, I also thought you mentioned um, Tommy Turbo. Uh, I thought, outs- beside the um, Manly not having the best first half, Tom Trebojevic was, of course, easily their best player and, in fact, scored two tries in that first half. Do you think he's definitely Manly's most important player? He's arguably... I mean, he's arguably the greatest player in the game. I don't know. Like, how long until James Tedesco sort of has to be dethroned from that permanent, you know, Australian New South Wales fullback jersey? Because Tom Trebojevic is is so good. I guess that question has to start being asked. It's. I mean, we've sort of touched on this a few times. And, I mean, at what point do you say James Tedesco, who's been the best player for three or four years and won premierships, has been superseded by a guy who's just absolutely lighting up every single week. And Tedesco is still going really well, but just not as eye-catching well as Turbo. And, and how do you compare them to Nathan Cleary, who's a game-managing half, who's doing absolutely everything for Penrith week in, week out, as against a, you know, a Munster or a DCE or a, you know, one of the real, you know, Payne Haas, David Fafita type forwards. It's one of those sort of age-old debates. But I mean, to your point about dethroning him as, as the, the number one, I mean, he's kind of shown in Origin 1, he can have the same impact from centre, and I'm, I don't, well, I'm sure there's not another player in the game who could have the sort of impact that he does from centre, where he's you know playing both sides as a second fullback and setting up tries for his other centre and and everything else. So you could potentially see Tedesco and um, Travoyevich sharing New South Wales and, and Australian roles for potentially years to come. I guess. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Moving on to the You're the expert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the longest answer to a question to the shortest acknowledgement of all time. Um earlier Sunday game, the Eels 36 to 10 over the Bulldogs. Another game of two halves, as it were. Um dogs was it dogs up at halftime, 10 points to six. Yeah, they were. Like it was, it was then, six ten um, at halftime to the Bulldogs. I think I mean pretty clearly the turning point in this one was the penalty try, uh, which I think was probably the correct call, but it was it would have been a sin bin if it wasn't a penalty try. Um, to Mitch Moses, a comical mistake from the dogs, um, you know, passing the ball into, it was, I think Dylan Napa was standing in the way and Avrilo passed it into his head and Mitch Moses was there to, to pounce. They got the penalty try and the dogs just never recovered and it was all sort of one-way traffic from that point on. 
Yeah, that's a real shame because the dogs were, were so into this game going into halftime with a, you know, it was a small lead, 6-10, but a lead nonetheless when no one would have given them any chance of getting anywhere near Parramatta. And it all just came crashing down so quickly with, yeah, just a, a comical, as you said, pass to the head. It wasn't just the pass to the head. It was the fact the ball sort of hit, like lay dead on the ground and both Dylan Napa and I can't remember who else it was, it sort of just looked at it. And all it, all he needed was somebody to dive on the ball and Mitchell Moses comes through like lightning, kicks it and then, you know, draws a penalty try. Like, like as you said, a, a correct penalty try. It's just, it's a real shame. Parramatta, you know, second half specialists, they were always like the Bulldogs were always going to be doing it tough to try and contain them. And obviously they did, but I think it, um, it it's different to, to say the Tigers, which we'll talk about in a bit, and the Titans, which we've just seen, and that the Bulldogs were sort of, there was effort in it the whole game. Um, it's just, you know, they didn't have as much skill, pizzazz, whatever you want to call it, as Parramatta. Um, and that's been the case for Bulldogs all year, as we've been saying. There's, there's effort, they try hard, they're, they're in it, they don't give up, but, um, you know, they always they always fall short. So, you know, they had that, that mistake not happened. I don't, I don't think they would have gone on to win the game either, but it probably wouldn't have been a, a 26 point loss. I mean, it's sort of, it feels a bit irrelevant now, but that first 40 to 50 minutes, I was really starting to like what I was seeing from the Jeremy Marshall King, Avarillo, Wakeham, Meany sort of spine. Like we've seen all year, they've just been really clunky and lost and ball playing has been a, a huge issue. Um, they're just sort of starting to find their, their mojo a little bit. And I mean, it's a little bit of a step backwards, obviously the way the game finished up but I guess some brighter signs there for them um, moving forward just on the eels I think the second half might have papered over a few little cracks for them there I had a mate actually text me at half time basically saying you know what's you know what's wrong with the eels pretty much and I thought about it and to me one of the biggest things was having two rookies on the wing a 19 year old in his first game and a 22 year old in his sixth or whatever it is um when for a couple of years they've had these huge hulking wingers in Ferguson and Sevo just trucking it out of yardage and carrying players on their, their back and getting them on the front foot. These two, um, you know, relatively small or comparatively small and, and very inexperienced wingers, they don't have that huge punch out of yardage. And I think um, if they're still running with with Sean Russell and, and Hayes Dunster as a, a one-two at some point later in the season, I mean, Michael Sevo's back next week and, and Blake Ferguson's still available if Brad Arthur wants to pick him, but I think that could end up being a little bit of an Achilles heel, not having those huge carries out of yardage, which has been such a big plank of what they've done well in recent years. Do you think Blake Ferguson's a chance of coming back or has Brad Arthur just sort of drawn a line and gone, that's it, no contract's not being renewed, let's just focus on the future? I mean, Brad's been asked this a couple of times this week and he certainly won't publicly put a line through Fergo. And I mean, Fergo obviously, would he's still playing for a contract. He'd love to be in, in first grade, you know, staking his claim for a deal um, somewhere else. So he won't have given up. I think he scored a try uh, in reserve grade today. So, um, you know, if it gets to the point where, you know, it's an important game and other players are unavailable or, or Brad Arthur feels that Fergo is the best option, I don't think his cards are marked to the extent that he won't be picked. But um, yeah, to, this was also a bit of a game to give some guys a chance. I think, um, you know, Bryce Cartwright back to reserve grade got to play, you know, I haven't seen his minutes, but he started and played big minutes and, um, you know, Keegan Hipgrave only got 12 minutes, but he got a chance off the bench. Nate Roach, who very unfortunately um, hurt his knees, had a shocking run, Nate Roach, but it was also a case of getting him um, some minutes in first grade. So uh, I think that might have been a similar case for Sean Russell, Russell who's been going quite well um, in, in cups. So, um 
another very long answer to a <laughs> relatively innocuous question. Hmm. But yeah, I don't think um, I think Fergo is probably out of favour, but hasn't totally had his cards marked. I understand. And uh, before we move on, thoughts on Kyle Flanagan? Uh, he hasn't played for a long time. Um, any chance of making the team? You reckon ever? What, uh, what, what, you know, what, what are they going to do? Not. I. I would almost suspect that Lockie Lewis is probably more of a chance of coming in. Um, than Kyle Flanagan at the moment. He's obviously got some things to work on, whether um, Trent Barrett sees him at the club once, you know, Matt Burton and, and the other signings arrive next year is another question. There's, you know, a few little rumours that he might be on the, on the lookout or uh, potentially mm. on the move. So, um, yeah, again, another one who I think if they needed to use him, they would, but um, probably a little bit of a way off first grade at the moment. Let's talk some uh, Saturday football. It's time, time to dissect this... <laughs> Tigers disaster from I I, uh, I tweeted about 15 minutes into this game with the a, a snapshot of the, the game stats and at that point the score was 30 to nil and the Storm had 96 percent of possession against four percent. The Tigers had barely touched the ball and they were down five tries to nil. I've never seen something so one-sided to start a match. Yeah, it's I I, I don't know how one is supposed to react to that because it was just a, a, a repeated process of kickoff score, kickoff, score. It's not as if the Tigers, like the Tigers didn't have possession simply because <laughs> like it only took one set of six and for Melbourne to go 95 metres and, and score a try. Like they got no one else to blame yeah. for themselves. Well, it the was Tigers completion just... rate at that point wasn't zero from zero. It was zero from three. So they'd had three touches <laughs> and made three errors. It was horrible to watch. I don't really know what else to say. I mean, I could take the Michael Maguire um, uh, methodology and just, you know, walk into the change room, have a look at them and walk out and don't say anything. That's, that's all there is to say because it's, you can't, how can a professional team be so off the pace? Like, you know, this is, this wasn't a, a 40 nil loss. This was a 40 nil at half time. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, I mean, the Tigers, are the Tigers that bad? Did, did like, obviously, because <laughs> that's the result of the game, but I, I know one would have seen a Tigers win, but the Tigers have had a relatively interesting record against Melbourne. I think the last sort of couple of years have been some pretty couple of wins, yeah. um, some pretty close games, and then, you know, the odd blowout. But this this wasn't a blowout. This was a, you know, this was just, it's like, no, no they didn't turn up. It's like they, no, if no one was on the field, it would have been the same score. I think that's probably <laughs> what I'm getting at. <laughs> Almost couldn't have scored faster. No play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think. I don't think it's a case of the Tigers are that bad, but I think they have some weaknesses and some. I mean, James Tamo was a shattered man in the, the post game, and and sort of basically said there's some underlying issues, which, I mean, certainly there are. The roster needs an overhaul. I'm not sure where the the root of the the problems is, but it was a, a team with some confidence issues that missed the jump on a game against one of the best attacking outfits in modern rugby league history that was well and truly on their game and it's I guess that's the result when I mean, even Bellamy said in his press it was one of those games where you know they, they were also getting the bounce of every ball every loose ball was bouncing into a storm hand not a tiger's hand so it was you know a great team in great form against a struggling team in bad form where the great team was getting all the luck as well and it just was an absolute just total one-sided affair. Uh, I don't know I, I think that's that's too that 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 verdict sort of favors the tigers too much and saying a lot of it was down to you know down to the ball and that sort of yeah. stuff. I had a lot of it, just that they, was also an extra thing. I, I understand that would have been like the edge to make it that much more embarrassing for them, but it was just 
It was it was tough to watch, and it was really puzzling because I, no one would have seen a win, but no one would have predicted that. Like to concede doesn't matter how many points you scored to concede sixty six points mm. is unacceptable for a modern uh, for a professional full time professional football team. It's just unacceptable. So yeah. uh, it will be really interesting come uh, when uh, teams announce what two weeks from now because there's a buy around. Um, what what happens? Maybe maybe they all need a week off, and he sticks, and and Maguire sticks with the same roster. That, geez, Louise, that was, yeah, it's just not on. It's not on. Mm. At, at what point do we start saying maybe the Storm are favourites for the Premiership rather than the Panthers, who were unbeaten prior to the Origin period? Yeah, I'd probably say right about now. Actually, I think mm. if you if if you were to put them. You know, let's assume it goes that way and you get a grand final between Melbourne and Penrith. I would back Melbourne. They've just got the experience, the sort of level-headedness when needed, but also like the grit that that kind of game might require, the toughness. And I'm not saying Penrith aren't tough because they certainly are. We've all seen how much um, like the physical knocks Nathan Cleary's been taking lately, like Origin mm-hmm. plus um, the the, pre- the game of this round as well. I just think Melbourne, they've just got that winning that entrenched winning culture and that winning edge that puts them over the top at the moment. Absolutely. Anyway, the second Saturday game, Dragons up against the Raiders in Wollongong, 22 points to 20. It finished up and uh, I mean, look away Raiders fans, because this was another um, up at half time and then lose the second half and uh, and lose the match uh, performance, unfortunately for the uh, the Green Machines. But uh, your great work, reward for some Dragons players, particularly Ben Hunt, um, who obviously uh, has played himself right into an origin jersey. Yeah, a real tough one. Another one of those tough games for, for Raiders fans. But, you know, the, the false dawn of a convincing win over, over the Broncos doesn't mean, like, you know, yeah. beware of that, right? Because I think they they, they had that great win last week. But great, everything's fixed, you know, discounting the fact that the Broncos are in a terrible way at the moment and everybody's beating up on them. You know, the way they got to the, the 12 nil lead, I thought the Raiders were um, have in for a really great game. They seem to be quite dominant. But then as soon as changing i mean i don't know if it's just the changing of ends and the wind you know changing of the winds or whatever but it just seemed that the um the second half was you know the the raiders just couldn't get over the line the one time they did or the, sorry this the, they got over once the second time they did um it was called back for obstruction i think and just the dragons um you know they just really seemed to to switch into another gear it was a real shame because those you know the, as soon as it gets to 12 point lead for the raiders they, they'll start doubting themselves which is just unfortunate for the Dragons, uh, a debut at fullback for young Tyrell Sloan. Matt Dufty, who's been in plenty of headlines of late, um, forced out with that uh, recurrence of his AC joint injury in his shoulder. Um, I, I guess a little bit of a glimpse at the next generation. A little bit of talk about Cody Ramsey doing it next year. But I, from what I've seen, I reckon, um, you know, Matt Dufty, obviously, on, on the way out at the end of this season, Tyrell Sloan could be the uh, the number one for round one next year. Well, his the the try that he scored that was started from a, a chip and chase from him, wasn't it? So he he chipped ahead, regathered. No, Corey Norman gathered and then um, flicked it back off for him to score the try. He's got like it takes a lot of a lot of know, attacking instinct and also a, quite a lot of confidence to, to pull off a play like that at the stage of the game and also in your debut match. Um, and I think maybe do you think it was just a misdirection from Griffin pointing to Cody Ramsey as as the the you know as the um the for the future fullback um just to yeah. you know take away all the pressure from this guy because he seems yeah he seems like he's got a pretty good career ahead of him and definitely seemed like a natural fit in that position yeah i think he's much more likely uh, than than Cody Ramsey a similar story with guys like um 
you know, Jaden Sullivan and, and these guys who can play in the, the halves, I think they're pretty close to ready for, for first grade. So maybe a little bit of a, a changing of the guard at the Dragons. So obviously Ben Hunt and McCulloch still around um, as the, the sort of senior leaders in the, the playmaking roles. I mean, what about Ben Hunt? I haven't really talked about him, but um, had a bit of a, had a few struggles uh, last week, but just involved, I think, two 40-20s in the second half, just really sort of rested the initiative back for his side. It was a, um, just a really impressive leadership performance for me. Has there been another game in recent memory where there's been two 40-20s kicked by the same team in a half of football? Because I can't remember that happening ever, really. That was like, yeah, like you said, a real, um, you know, like a a leadership play to swing momentum um, back to to your team. It It was remarkable. I mean, you, you generally see that the players who kick the most of them finish up with five or six in a season. So to kick two and a half is extremely uh, uncommon. But yeah, great performance from him. I, I, again, I don't like to be too critical, but I will finish off just on Canberra. Those jerseys, what the, the grey and the navy blue. The, the, the I green thought it machine. was the Sharks playing. That it, was, yeah, that was, it was closer really to like cool. a dark, dark version of the Cowboys kid or something <laughs> i don't know no, i agree um i completely concur on those sentiments yeah no good the green machine they're meant to be green um the knights and the warriors 10 points to six uh in the uh the earlier game um one for the purists i guess you'd call this one some um some some little bright spots for the uh for the knights obviously mitch pierce back doing some really nice stuff um and just i guess to grind out a win in, in tough circumstances they've had a pretty um you know tough year so far so some good signs there but it's probably not one that's going to live long in the highlight reels well i will say this yes the bright spot for the knights is that they won this game because when you break down all the things going into it so we've got uh the return of you know arguably their best player mitchell pierce uh, a big occasion that means a lot to the home crowd so it's been here for brain cancer around mark hughes foundation they've just had a pretty humiliating loss the week before they've got this is an opponent opponent that many people could expect them to beat that all points to a Newcastle loss for me because they're a classic letdown team, similar to the Tigers, um, and they got away with the win. So that's classic that's great. letdown like, team. <laughs> they are. It's, yeah. it's a shame, but that's yeah. anyway. Um, it's funny because that's, it's true, I guess. But yeah, exactly. Um, and they yeah they came away with a loss, like you said, one for the purists, not exactly a spectacular loss. I, I would have thought that a game this close, because no more than four points in, or no more than six points in it at, at any one time, would have carried a lot more tension. But it didn't really feel particularly yeah. tense until the last sort of ten minutes or so. It just sort of, it was just grinding away. There was no, um, yeah, it was it was just sort of like a like a a boring rally of tennis or something. Just sort of, you know, ball bouncing around. And then when when everyone realised the clock was about to run out, it sort of hit another gear. And then it came a bit exciting. But still, a win is a win. What about the uh, the Warriors? Plenty of chances to uh, to win this game. Um... You know, obviously no Chanel Harris Tavitas. They've got Reese Walsh at one and Roger Tuavasa check on the wing. I've, I've said this before, but I just even for this year, I know Roger's going and Reese Walsh is the heir apparent, but I'm I'm just not sure that's the best way to get Walsh into the uh, the team to to move Roger to wing. Yeah, I, I yeah, we've spoken about that before as well. I, I completely agree. I think Roger, you know, Reese Walsh is fine at fullback, but Roger is you know he's got all the skill plus the leadership plus he's just he's, he's a game breaker. Um, and I think. Had they, like I said, when this came down to, I think it was this, um, towards the end of the game, Reese Walsh had a, uh, a crack at a field goal. And I think if that was Roger in that role um, at that time, he probably would have had a better chance of making it because it, 
splayed way out to the left, and then the resulting seven tackle set sort of marched um, marched the Knights down the field for the the winning play. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I I understand it's a nod to the future, but you know, you've got to what about right now? I mean, Sean O'Sullivan was going okay and then got punted after one bad game and, and now he's back. I don't know what's changed for him in the, the few weeks since, but I just I wonder if maybe giving Cody Nicarima the reins to the team and put Walsh at six where he doesn't have to deal with so much at fullback and um, sort of let him focus on his, his support play and he's still doing that ball playing um, up in the line anyway and just let Rogers stick to what his, his best spot is might be the, the way to go. Um, and just Don Walsh at fullback. A couple of errors in this game, a couple of those probably errors that almost anyone would have made here to field what I suspect is one of the highest bombs I've ever seen in my time watching rugby league from Jake Clifford brought down snow with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, mistakes that anyone would have made. So I think to, um, if they're the only things you're calling out in what his sixth game or his eighth game of first grade is, he's, you know, he's got a good future ahead of him. He, uh, he certainly does that. Um, winding that one back to Friday night, 38 points to 12. The Panthers finished up winners over the Roosters. Um, the first 15 or 20 minutes of this game, it, it, performance, I haven't really seen anyone take it to the Panthers like this since the grand final. I know they lost um, to the, the Tigers and the Sharks when they were missing their origin players. But in terms of just, you know, when they're, close to full strength and a team just physically just dominating them and, and putting them off their game. The, the Roosters were all over them in the first 20 minutes of this one. And then, um, you know, an unlucky bounce off a restart and Joey Manu makes an error and that, that was all it took. Panthers just took the game. Yeah, well, I think the Roosters showed what you have to do to beat the Panthers and that is get up in them, get in their face, um, put them under pressure immediately and just don't ever give them a chance to get momentum. And as long as you keep up that intensity... Um, you'll get over them. And like you said, the first 20 minutes or so was, they were like, I, it was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The Roosters were just so dominant. And then as soon as that, that um, knock on from a kickoff from Joey Manu swung momentum back straight to the Panthers and they never stopped from there. But I do have to wonder, and I would like your opinion, if that moment didn't happen. So if Joey Manu gets the kickoff cleanly and it's just a, your standard set, do you think the Roosters would have been able to maintain that you know, that, that aggression for 80 minutes to, to sustain a win? Or do you think this sort of, this, uh, this outcome was kind of inevitable and the Panthers were always going to run over the top? Yeah, I mean, you just can't blink against Penrith, can you? You can't blink for even mm. even a second. I think, I mean, it's an interesting one. I don't know if the Roosters would have been able to keep it up for 80 minutes. I mean, they could probably keep it up from their end, but whether Penrith would have let them is, is a whole other story. I think Penrith would have got into the grind as the game went on and got it back on a, you know, an even keel and from there, you know, potentially ground out the win. But um, yeah, that, that mistake when it came compounded by the sin bidding of Siwa Talkiara, yeah. I think probably a lot of people would agree is pretty unfortunate given the, you know, player falling into him he didn't you know it wasn't a high race swinging arm or anything and um it's something that's sort of been discussed ad nauseum so i don't want to go into the crackdown too much but it was the second game of the night where a player got binned for basically just standing there ready to make a tackle and having someone um fall into them that those the the manu era into the siwa um sin bin it just really sort of took the wind out of the sails for the the roosters and you know, maybe it just accelerated what penrith are going to be able to do anyway but the way they're able to turn the screws from that point was was pretty impressive it was also amazing that like this was a cold, wet, horrible night out in mm. West of Sydney and they were playing fast. It was really amazing. Like compare that to the Knights Warriors game where it was this slug fest. And yeah, like the conditions were basically the same. Mm. The speed at which the Panthers were playing and, and, and kicking it around and they were kicking 40-20s and they were just, it was amazing. They were real, still a really, really slick outfit. So um, 
yeah, as you said, uh, they probably would have been able, you know, regardless of sin bins and, and um, mistakes, they probably would have been able to, uh, you know, grind it out eventually. I mean, up until the point that, that Siwa went off, this was some of the best footy I'd seen in a, in a club game this year, that first 20 or so, just furious intensity and, you know, great start. You know, Panthers were being resilient and desperate, even though the Roosters had already had two tries. So um, a little bit of a shame that the, the contest got one-sided after that because it was a cracking 20-minute start. Uh, once the Panthers did get the ascendancy, I think, I mean, you just have to pay credit to, to Nathan Cleary and the, the maturity in his kicking game now. He forced a goal line dropout from, what was it, about 40 metres out, punted it downfield with some backspin on it, hit the, you know, the pretty much on the try line and bounced once and stopped in the end goal and in, incredible kick chase and forced a goal line. I think he forced three dropouts in the in the match. Just the, the maturity and development of his game management and kicking game over the past 18 to 24 months is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why he's the, the Blues halfback. Yeah. Um, and some would say probably the Kangaroos halfback as well, depending on, on what happens towards the end of the year. I, I almost certainly will be the way things are, uh, are going. Um, anyway, taking it back one further game to the Cowboys and the Sharks up at Queensland Country Bank Stadium, the earlier Friday game, 26 to 24. The Sharks eventually won this one. Hugely important game for both teams. Two of those teams fighting for spots in the bottom half of the uh, the top eight. and. Sharks on a little bit of a roll now. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, pretty sure I went on the record uh, towards the beginning of this season after the John Morris sacking and said, put a line through the Sharks, they're done, they're ready to chuck this season away. Mm. And they've just sort of been ticking away, you know, bagging wins here and there. And I think, um, have they jagged, have they um, pushed themselves up into the top eight? I think they may have at the end of this yeah, round, yeah, hanging yeah, on to eighth yeah. spot. Um, yep. Yeah, really quite amazing. This game was like the first half sort of felt like a, it felt like a, you know, it was like a lighthearted romp. There was um, try for try action. It was pretty good. It, it all felt quite, um, you know, a couple of surprise moments, both sides looking like they could win. And then the second half, like it, it was boring. It was weird. Like it was mm. this, you know, mistake of thorn, both sides lacking strategy, cohesion. I don't know. It's like some of the Cowboys playing the Sharks red, red zone was just really, really bad. You know, they died with the yeah. ball many times. Um, and then, yeah, even when the Sharks broke away to make it 24-12, it was, I think, the most boring try I've ever seen. Like, it was just, compared to the first half, it was really, you know, really disappointing, I guess. And then, like the Sharks, um, sorry, like the Knights-Warriors games, a lot, the, last, the last 10 minutes became, you know, pretty entertaining. But, um, yeah, Sharks bagged another win, another close win as well. So, they're becoming two-point specialists. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, that, that Cowboys comeback, it looked pretty unlikely. They they didn't score. I think they scored their second try in the 28th minute. They didn't score another one until Felt got his double in the um, inside the final 10 minutes of the match. They looked absolutely gone for all money. Then all of a sudden, they were sort of on the front foot. I think the set after that, they were racing downfield, and it was um, it was right after that that uh, Reese Robson copped the somewhat questionable sim bidding, which pretty much snuffed out the. Um, the comeback and I mean you could argue the Cowboys didn't really deserve to be in a position to steal a comeback um, given that the way they'd managed the game up to that point but um, yeah they, they were on track for potentially a grandstand finish. Is there um I don't mean a uh, question without notice the Cowboys winning record at country at Queensland Country Back Stadium I think is quite poor does that sound like a correct uh, a correct statement? Yeah it certainly started off very poor if you want to Rebel on for a second. I can Google the numbers. <laughs> so I'll just, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I find it, I, I find it quite surprising because um, it's, it's a, a stadium that, I mean, it's built to give home ground advantage, right? Like it's basically like a Bankwest stadium, except with a, um, a Townsville field, uh, Townsville feel for it. And 
this um yeah i don't remember the cowboys actually bagging a win uh for a while in that stadium so i think um I mean, I'm definitely not going to say it's the stadium's fault. That's, that's for sure. But it's really quite surprising that, you know, with such, um, yeah, that they just haven't been able to capitalise on, on a home ground advantage. Well, they won three of their first 12 games at the venue. So uh, that's entrenched in your mind yeah. as a place they don't win. That's why. Although they were on a five-game winning run there after that point. So I've uh, been winning a lot of games there this year. Uh, All right. Well, let's just uh, <laughs> edit that. Just edit that bit out. And we'll, uh, no, no. Take <laughs> the posterity. Um, Anyway, uh, good signs for the Sharks were down the eight. Cowboys have slipped back out, but, um, you know, they've conceded more points than they should have uh, a few times this year, um, not the least of all uh, a week ago, but uh, a bit of work to do for Todd Payton. Anyway, first game off the round all the way back on Thursday night, the Rabbitohs 46 points to zero against the Broncos. And um, I don't want to lay the boot in too much because I know Broncos are doing it tough at the moment. But, um, yeah, this was uh, just one of those questions uh, – games where you just ask questions about what are they what are they even doing that seem to be all on different pages and, and I'm not sure what's going on out there at the moment yeah I think this this seems to be the game that has broken the camel's back of what to do at Brisbane so like after this you know news reports start mass staff sackings players are all on notice like Tavita Pango Jr has been told to go look elsewhere um you know players are going to be let go. Kevin Walters, even, you know, Kevy's position is not, um, not secure, all that sort of stuff. And I mean, you know, it's not without justification. Something obviously has to be done there because the Broncos defense and their attack, but all, but like their defense that night was just shocking. It's like, it was like watching, um, it was like watching an under eights game where everyone was just sort of chasing the ball around rather than like looking at where the ball might be or the player they're supposed to be marking up. And Rabbitohs could just manufacture overlaps at will. It was, Oh, yeah, it was it was real basic stuff the Broncos were missing. I mean, it's sort of been tough to watch some of the the emotional interviews. I mean, Kevin Walters, who's a, a terrific bloke, um, but yeah, just seems a little bit uh, bereft of answers uh, at the moment. Is a bit emotional after the game, speaking to the um, you know on the the TV coverage um, on Channel Nine. I mean, always you know credit to him for for fronting up. He you know he's you know, never shy about sort of doing doing interviews and, and, and fronting up. But, um, yeah, it doesn't it's, – it's tough to watch uh, the way things are going at the moment. As you say, this is sort of the um, the turning point where there's now started to be recriminations, you know, a bit of bloodletting, some, you know, senior sort of staff let go. You know, I saw uh, Pango interviewed on field by Jonathan Thurston saying he was called in on his day off and told to go look elsewhere and he wasn't going to be there um, next year. So, I guess, yeah, just tough times for Broncos fans. Jeez, I reckon that was like a, a pretty um... – like, you know, as a journalist, you got to ask the hard-hitting questions, but, like, the guys just come off, like, the full-time siren's just blown. It's 46 nil, and it gets asked, um, her, like, basically, I heard you got fired today. That's, like, yeah. a, a pretty tough interview to do, but good on, good on him. He, 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 he um, answered it as best he could. Um, but I thought the the scenes in the in the shed post-game, I think it was Tyson Gamble looked like he was, looked like he was in tears, um, and nobody wants to see that sort of stuff. So you can see this, just this, like there was last year and now this year, it's really having an effect on the players. Like they're just looks like they're not in a good space. Um, and you know, welfare has to come into it, but yeah, something, something needs, there needs to be a circuit breaker there. Something's got to happen. Yeah. I'm not sure what that's going to be, but uh, yeah, you're right. Something needs to change. Anyway, that is all eight games from round 15. Uh, as we touched on, I think last week uh, we are, we think headed up to Suncorp. It remains <laughs> yeah. what we the, we've heard the term fluid situation a few times since the uh, start of the, the COVID pandemic last year. So uh, with a few cases in Sydney, we're still not 100% sure what we're doing um, this time next week. But our fingers crossed, we'll be at the game. 
yeah, so uh, I guess we're at the mercy of uh, potential border closures but, closures, but right now we're still planning to be there at the NRL Travel pregame party. So um, come along. It's going to be a great night. Um, that is, um, unless the situation changes. But until then... <laughs> One way or another, we'll be chatting footy next Sunday, so we'll catch you all then. Yeah.